clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Unreal. Rainbows high and deep into the end zone. And it is caught. Caught, caught for a touchdown. A leaping touchdown. Catching goes. He'll be chased and he is caught. Does he get both feet in right here at the end, Jim? Oh, are they going to roll it? He caught it. Touchdown. He did what? He did what? He runs to the 50. He runs to the 40. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. We are seeing another spectacular effort by Marino, who fires. Touchdown. Oh, that's loose. Allen steps up. Jumps over the defenders to pick up the first. Says a prayer. simple folks out of all the games this week my friend's fortune Jets versus Bills is going to be the highest scoring game in the NFL this week and I'm looking at I'm looking at a team like the Bills who are probably getting their quarterback this week hopefully fingers crossed I'm looking at the Jets defense that has been susceptible susceptible excuse me in the in, in of late in the past few weeks I'm looking at LaShawn McCoy getting back on track being angry I'm looking at Terrell Pryor and Kelvin Benjamin and Zay Jones all getting more involved in this offense and, and, and becoming more productive. And again, we're the worst offense in the NFL, but I'm tired of it. And I think we shut people up this week. And it's one of those things where a lot of times some of the best games in the NFL turn out to be two bad teams playing against each other. All right, everybody. How are we all doing this evening? My name is Josh Lapping. I am here by myself this evening because Adam Rossi, my co-host, is away on a personal matter, so we wish all the best to my pal. But I think it's only fair because he had an episode to himself last week. I have an episode to myself this week. Last week, I was in Connecticut. It was beautiful. The leaves were changing. It was totally fall. It was a nice 50 degrees all week, uh, and it was definitely different than coming back home to the snow, which I'm sure we're all reeling from a little bit in, in our hometown, but you know, it is what it is. It's November 13th today, so a little bit earlier than I think we all expected, but hey, we live in Pennsylvania, so that's just what we deal with here. Regardless, how about them Buffalo Bills, Adam Rossi? So, you didn't quite get your prediction right, but that's probably only because the New York Jets just didn't hold up their end of the deal. Buffalo went on an offensive explosion, and that was so awesome to see. I was very, very happy to see that, even if it meant my pal's pig was wrong. And it was, but that's a-okay, because I knew my pal was happy because of it. And it was really just good to see Buffalo come to life a little bit. We didn't get to see the return of Josh Allen like Adam had been mentioning. He had been practicing like we talked about on the phone last week. He'd been practicing with the starters. And that was actually something we talked about, Adam and I, uh, on Saturday. I said it would be a total Sean McDermott move that the starter didn't get to have any first team reps because that would just be a decision he made. And then it was announced that Matt Barkley was getting the start. But Matt Barkley had one heck of a game. Now, I'm not saying that Matt Barkley should be a starter anywhere. He's been around the league. He's been a journeyman quarterback. But going back to his college days and when he was drafted, I loved Matt Barkley. A little fun fact uh, for those of you listening. When Adam first moved to Pittsburgh, he and I, the way we kept connected his first semester, his first year especially, most of all, we had a Madden League where we went like eight years deep into it. And Matt Barkley was my starter down in Miami. Adam was up in Buffalo, obviously. He did get fired in that league, which was funny. He went over to Minnesota. That year that he got fired, I played the Buffalo Bills, and I destroyed them. And we had this running joke that as I was running off the field, because we pretended that we were the head coaches of those teams because we are that cool, I yelled to the crowd, should have kept Coach Rossi. And... Endearing as it is, that's one of Adam's like favorite memories of me. 
but you know that's just because we're passionate pals <laughs> uh, he's a great kid and I do miss him but you know we are in week 11 I was out for week 12 or week 10 excuse me we all need a break right we all need some time off so we'll get us both back in studio soon and we will have our normal witty banter and back and forth soon enough for you folks but today you're with me but the Buffalo Bills, they crushed it. Uh, Shady McCoy did get back on track. He did run angry, and that's great. And I think it's only going to help that they're on the bye this week because they're going to be able to look at the film and see what they did, how they schemed this out, and see what they need to do to can keep that momentum moving forward because they're not, at least in my opinion, as bad as they have put on throughout the first 10 weeks or the first nine weeks, I should say, of this NFL season. The defense, we've talked about it numerous times. They've kind of been, they've had some peaks and some valleys, but they are a good unit. They've been a great unit for as long as I've been paying attention to football. So they have the pieces, and and if they can put it together now, like Adam did say, the season's probably over for all intents and purposes, but they can still do well moving forward to gain momentum going into next season where they're only going to get better. They're going to have all the cap space that they're going to have. They're going to have the money to play with. They're going to be able to bring in pieces. They have a lot of draft picks. So if we can get Josh Allen back, especially if we get Josh Allen back and we can continue seeing just a few performances like that, who knows where this Buffalo Bills team is going to go and what they can be. So I know Adam's definitely excited about that. My... Friends Fortune, uh, I didn't play it for us because I figured I'd just repeat it. I predicted that Amari Cooper would have at least 10 catches for like 120 yards and a touchdown. He didn't get there. Uh, what I meant to say is that was all going to happen to Zach Ertz. Wow, that was ridiculous, first of all. Wow, I can't even say. I was playing Zach Ertz in fantasy this week, and it destroyed me. I was already down by the time that game rolled around by like two points, which made me happy because if I had gone into that game like up by 10 and thought I had a chance and then just found out that I didn't I would have been so very very sad regardless so Amari Cooper played pretty well he got six passes on 10 targets for 75 yards almost had a touchdown uh Dak overthrew him in the end zone so he didn't quite get what I had 10 targets I said they were gonna catch at least 10 passes so but the thing is the reason why I was impressed is because they didn't need to I said in my friend's fortune that no team's really been able to run that effectively against the Philadelphia Eagles, and I thought they were going to have to use Cooper because they weren't going to be able to rely on Zeke. But boy, did they, and they absolutely had no reason not to. Ezekiel Elliott had a heck, heck of a game. He ran the ball 19 times for 151 yards and a touchdown, and he added 36 yards and another touchdown on six receptions. So I thought they were going to have to go to Cooper because they weren't going to be able to rely on Zeke. But Ezekiel Elliott once again shows why he's one of the best backs in the NFL. And he carried that team. And that's so huge moving forward because obviously that keeps Dallas in this NFC uh, East race. They're in second place. The Philadelphia Eagles, the defending Super Bowl champs, have fallen back to third place. I don't think they're anywhere near out of it. I personally don't believe in the Washington Redskins this year. But so this, I, I think it's going to be one of those two teams, the Cowboys or the Eagles, still representing the East in the NFC. But we have a long way to go in this division because while some divisions are being being defined right now, this is definitely not one of them. This is one of those ones that's wide open. So Ezekiel Elliott, you, you crush it, man, and I think you're a big key reason as to why my friend's fortune didn't come true, but I loved it. I love watching him run. I think he's a great player, and I thought it was awesome. So yes, friend's fortune. All right, we do have some breaking news here on Simultaneous Catch. This is a pretty big deal going on. Obviously, this week, Monday Night Football in Week 11 was supposed to be the Los Angeles Rams taking on the Kansas City Chiefs in Mexico City. It's been developing news all day long that the field was in terrible condition. I saw yesterday all the crew members working on it, everybody getting really excited and ready for the NFL to come back down to Mexico City. They've had a few games there in the past, but this was going to be a big one, a huge, huge game. Two 8-1 teams facing off the NFL 
pulled that game. It is official, not pulled that game. I shouldn't phrase it that way. They pulled it from that location. It is now going to be played in Los Angeles in the Coliseum on the home turf of the Los Angeles Rams. So Mexico City lost out on a huge, huge game. Now, I don't want to go into too many details about what that means for them or whatnot. I know this was a decision strictly by the NFL front office. Both teams said they didn't want to go down there because the field was in such bad condition that they talked about if they had gone down, they weren't going to play some of their key starters. So we might not be seeing Jared Goff and Todd Gurley and Kareem Hunt and Pat Mahomes. All of those players might have been sitting on the sidelines because the coaches didn't want to risk those players getting hurt on that field. That just stinks so much for Mexico City. I do feel bad in a way. They did have a concert there uh, this past weekend, and, and it doesn't look like anything even happened because of the foot traffic. It wasn't the fans seeing this concert. It looks like all the things, just the equipment, the stage being out there on the field, it looks just like it really dug up that turf, and the NFL just didn't want to risk it. So they are going to play that game in the Coliseum in Los Angeles. So it's still an amazing game. It's still going to be two 8-1 and one teams on Monday Night Football. We're not going to miss out on anything from a view a viewer or a fan standpoint, it just kind of stinks for Mexico City that that's not going to be down there again. They're not going to get a game this year, especially a game that would have been as exciting as that one. So I digress. But I think it's really interesting because I don't know how to pick this game. I think it's going to be a really, really good one to watch. Everyone's obviously expecting offensive explosions going on. We have two of the top scoring offensive teams in the NFL. It always seems like when we get games like that, though, it's always some sort of weird defensive thing, at least in the beginning, and then the offenses figure it out, and then it explodes. I don't really necessarily see that in this game because both defenses aren't performing that well. I, I think it's really interesting because the Rams are a defense that started out super, super hot, and they obviously have so, so much talent. You can't take that away from them. We've already lauded them numerous times on this podcast, Adam and I. Kansas City started out extremely badly, and has gotten a little bit better, kind of clawing their way back into defensive mix kind of territory. I'm not really sure how to say what I'm exactly trying to say, but they're not as bad as they once started out. Now, neither one of them are the Chicago Bears this year or the Legion of Boom or anything like that. We can't say that. But the offense is obviously what everyone's thinking about and talking about in this game. So it's going to be really exciting. Um, I'm not sure. I still haven't picked it. I'm not sure how I will pick it. But it's going to be a big one. And I don't necessarily think, obviously, because when you go down to Mexico City, I believe it was ruled It was a ruled as a Los Angeles home game, a Kansas City away game. There's a really interesting debate about the Coliseum for the Los Angeles Rams about whether or not that really gives you any sort of home field advantage. Adam and I were listening to a really great reporter talk about what it's like to play there from an opposing team. Home field advantage is always such a big thing in the NFL, but it doesn't seem to work in the Coliseum. The LA teams are still kind of trying to find their way with their their home base and their, their home fans. No one, I don't want to say nobody, but it's definitely not where everyone's packing those seats and it's so loud because of that. Teams travel, especially to a place like Los Angeles, where it's such a diverse culture group. So many people from around the world live there. So many people want to travel there. And if their team's playing, that's even a bigger reason to go. So a lot of away fans are always packing the Coliseum. So I don't think this game being played now in Los Angeles really helps the Rams in any great kind of way. I think the Kansas City Chiefs are going to be just fine performing in that atmosphere. I don't think it's going to get to them. So kind of moving to L.A., it doesn't help the Rams in any great sort of way. Obviously, they don't have to travel, so they can kind of take that time away. They can focus on, on game plans, on practice, on scripting things out. The Kansas City Chiefs now have to fly to Los Angeles, but that's nothing too bad. I mean, that's flying halfway across the country. So taking that game away from Mexico City stinks for them, but we are going to be in store for a great, great game. And I'm so excited to see how this plays out. I think we're going to have two of the young emerging teams obviously two of the best offensive minds in the league and Sean McVay head coach of the Los Angeles Rams Andy Reid head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs putting everything they've got into this game because this is going to have some big implications moving forward for the playoffs obviously they're separate conferences 
But with the Rams having lost to New Orleans Saints a couple of weeks ago, they can't get back because if New Orleans continues to win, if they slip up the, the Rams, that is, New Orleans can pass them by and have the NFC go through New Orleans. And while Kansas City has obviously the top seed right now, if they slip up, they have the Chargers right under them. They still have to play another game against them as well. So if they have those similar records and the Ch- uh, Chargers are able to beat the Chiefs, then they become not only the first seed in the conference, but the first seed in their division, which will be huge. We also have the New England Patriots right behind them as well. So obviously the Pittsburgh Steelers, There, I mean, there are plenty of teams in the NFC too, but I'm just talking about the AFC because of the, the picture is so clear for me right now. So this is a huge game for non-conference uh, competitors. It's just going to be a great game. I can't overstate it. I've said it numerous times, but I'm just so darn excited. So... Sorry, Mexico City, that really stinks, but I hope the concert was worth it. I'm not sure who performed, but I'm sure it was great. Wouldn't it be awful if it was like a really bad concert? It was like something, just some some scrubs or something that rented out the Aztec, and they're like, yeah, we're going to play, and people were like, yeah, okay, let's go see, and it wasn't even that great, and because of that, they don't get the NFL to come down there. Let's hope not. Let's hope it was awesome. So today was another big day in the NFL because as of 4 o'clock today on Tuesday, November 13th, Le'Veon Bell had to report and sign his tender or he was ineligible to play for this year. Now, this has been such an interesting saga. The whole Le'Veon Bell thing, we've been talking about it all year, and we've really had no idea as to what was going to happen. I was so darn sure that he was going to be here by this time, signing that tender, and he was going to play for the last six weeks of the NFL season. I think everybody expected, I think even he expected that until he found out, his agent found out that if he didn't sign this tender, if he didn't go and report, it wasn't going to have any implications on his free agency. He's still going to be a free agent this year, next year I should say, moving forward, even though he didn't sign this tender. I think he saw something like Des Bryant going down to play for the the New Orleans Saints, which was awesome. I'm super sad, but for those of you who don't know, in case you live under a rock or aren't diehard NFL followers, Des Bryant, the ex-Dallas Cowboy, a very good wide receiver who was cut this past offseason, finally signed last week with the New Orleans Saints. He lasted two practices, and then he tore his ACL. I think Le'Veon Bell kind of saw that and thought, whoa, hang on. That could happen to me. I haven't been playing football, and even though I've been working out and I've been staying healthy, I've been staying active, it's different to be out there practicing football with with pads and with guys out there. And even a non-contact injury like a torn ACL when you're just running at NFL football speed, that can happen. And that is such a key thing because if that happened to Bell, any kind of big contract he can get next year in free agency is wiped away. So I understand it from a health standpoint, from not being out there on the field. I also think this is playing a key factor, is the emergence and dominance of James Conner. James Conner has been playing lights out football. Throughout the first 10 weeks of the NFL season, James Conner has been doing things that Le'Veon Bell has never done. And I think that's such a huge key factor. Now I'm going to break this down into a couple parts for us to talk about. First, let's focus on Le'Veon Bell. So let's pretend that he did come back for this final stretch run and maybe the playoffs. I mean, the playoffs is most likely going to happen for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Maybe even a Super Bowl run. Let's just say he did come back and he didn't perform up to par. There is obviously going to be an element of rust that he has to shake off. There is going to be um, some things that he just needs to get back into football shape. Like I said, he's been working out. He's been down in Miami. He's been keeping taking great care of his body. I'm sure he's a great athlete. But there's still an element of him not playing football that he needs to shake off. And it's pretty late in the season and not a whole lot of time to show it at this point. So let's pretend we don't see the Le'Veon Bell that we've grown accustomed to the past handful of years. Would that affect his market next year in free agency? I certainly think so. 
I think it's probably better for him to have no tape this year and just be able to see the great tape of his years past than if he had come back this year and performed okay, not so great. Teams are definitely going to want to take a flyer on him, and they're going to give him a heck of a lot of money to come be their bell cow feature running back. He's going to break the bank somewhere because they're going to know what he brought in the past. And even if he did come and play this year and not do that great, somebody would still take the potential. But now they know we can get what he was a few years ago versus, ooh, he came in, played six games, 3.3 yards a carry, and didn't have as many catches. And that stutter step and that behind-the-line stuff that Le'Veon Bell does so well, that wasn't as on display. Or maybe he was getting tackled more in the backfield because of that. I think that definitely played a factor. I think James Conner has been doing so well that people would be like, hey, James Conner, a second-year player who didn't do almost anything his rookie year, has been dominating the NFL. Why aren't you? And so he's just kind of banking on himself. He's going to say, hey, look at what I've done in years past. I can do that for you. So... Le'Veon Bell, I don't blame you that you've done this. I know a lot of people are down on you, especially Pittsburgh fans, but I mean, I mean, how can you not support James Conner and be happy for that kid? But I understand. I think I said it a few weeks ago when we were talking about it with Adam. You have, you, you have lived up to your franchise tag. You've been wanting that long-term contract. I think Pittsburgh abused you. I understand you've had some issues off the field. Not as of late. You've seemed to have gotten a lot of things corrected, and I, I applaud you for that. You had some injury things go on in the past, which is also another reason you've wanted to sit out and another reason why I think it was intelligent that you didn't come back, like I was talking about the Des Bryant effect. So I think next year you're going to be with uh, a team, and I think that's going to be really exciting to see the Bell watch and see what happens. We'll be talking about that a lot in the offseason. But yeah, right now it's James Conner time. So let's talk a little bit about James Conner. It's going to be real, real fascinating to see what happens because obviously he has been the guy now because Bell wasn't there, because he was holding out. But now, Le'Veon Bell is gone. And I don't think that affects anything that James Conner is going to do. He is a true professional. Like I said, I interviewed him while we were in high school. We were down on the sidelines together. He was a player and I was a reporter. He's a great person. I think if there's anybody who can be truly professional and put his nose down and continue to be the guy, put in the work, the hours, the sweat, the blood, the tears, to go out and do those things, it's James Conner, so I think he's going to be just fine handling it. But he, if it's even possible, he has a bigger chip on his shoulder now than I think he did before because now he is the guy. There's no one else. I mean, there's Jalen Samuels and Stephen Ridley there, but James Conner, those two backs aren't going to amount to what James Conner has, has done, especially with his historic great, great run to start the season. So we'll see how it goes. I'm not thinking this year. I think he's going to be just fine. But next year, obviously there's room for improvement. And in some ways, as crazy as that is to seem, but he's going to have the full off season of just knowing that I'm the guy. But all 30 other, all 31 other teams are going to know that as well. So it's going to be real interesting to see how players defend against him, see what they bring against him now, because James Conner is now no longer just saying, I'm the guy this week. Let's see what happens next week. He's the guy of the future. It's going to be very fascinating to see what happens moving forward. But I think he's such a great fit with the Pittsburgh Steelers and what they bring. One thing that I really like watching, comparing Le'Veon Bell to James Conner, because as I said earlier about Le'Veon Bell, he obviously has that real bounce around, patient, wait for the hole to develop thing, that whole style, and people have lauded, and it's really amazing. It's truly amazing to watch. But James Conner just puts his head down and runs, and I think that's a big reason why he is having so much success this year, because that offensive line, maybe compared to, I mean, it's definitely in the top five. I think you could put it in the top two, maybe even the top one, depending on how you look at Dallas's O-line right now, which performed obviously extremely well against the Philadelphia Eagles, but we already talked about that. But Bell could get trapped back there with that whole dance around thing, wait for it to develop. I think the New England Patriots were a really good example of how they took that away. They weren't allowing that patience running to happen. 
we will see the New England game uh, in a few weeks here against the New England Patriots, the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's going to be really interesting to see how James Conner runs against that team because, like I said, he's just a put-your-nose-down-and-run type of running back. So let's see what you got, James Conner. Keep making Erie proud, and we're we're really just elated that you, you've done what you've, you've been able to do. So keep doing it, my friend. With all that being said, I didn't do a rant rave recall, and I think that's a really great transition to do it because I'm going to recall everything that I've said against the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is really funny because way back in the beginning of the year, I picked the Pittsburgh Steelers to win that division, to represent the AFC East, to go pretty far in the playoffs, and I think I just got off them a little too quickly. I think I saw how they started the year, and I was a bandwagon doubter. I just jumped right off, and I have to say, again, our coworker Jill, she just reamed into me last Friday after the Thursday night game because I picked the Carolina Panthers to win that football game. She just was so in my face about it. I will say that I did say that would be the prime game for the Carolina Panthers to fall in their face, and as soon as Cam Newton made that very idiotic interception, I was like, well, I don't know if they can recover from that because if Cam gets in a position where he has to completely continue to will his team into it, we've seen him do it in the past, but it's much more rare than it is common. And I don't think the defense was going to be able to rally around that. I think they just got deflated so quickly too, and Pittsburgh exploded on the scene. Which stinks because we still didn't get to see a really great Thursday night football game, but I digress. We'll leave it to my Green Bay Packers as they travel to Seattle. Hopefully that will be another great Thursday night football game. We'll finally get to have some great midweek football. So yeah, I have to recall the Pittsburgh Steelers though because they are clicking on so many cylinders. That defense is playing a heck of a lot better than they were at the start of the year. I think the return of Mike Hilton in that secondary has helped so, so much. The offense exploded. Obviously on Thursday night, we saw a great offensive explosion against the Atlanta Falcons. And this is obviously an extremely, extremely dangerous offense. When you have Antonio Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster, Vance McDonald turning it on a tight end, Jesse James caught a touchdown on that as well. So you have two really good big tight ends, James Conner, James Washington, the rookie wide receiver, I, I'm jealous of how the Pittsburgh Steelers draft wide receivers because I feel like if they draft a wide receiver in the second round, boom, he's going to be a superstar. So there's so much going on with the Pittsburgh Steelers that it's just great. So Jill, I am recalling all of the negative things I've said about the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think they are going to uh, get back, represent the North, the, uh, the AFC North. So yeah, Pittsburgh on a roll, and it'll be real fun to see what they continue doing because that offense, like I said, they're clicking, and it's just fun football. And I think that's great for everybody, even if you're a Pittsburgh hater. I mean, if you're not, a, I know a lot of people who are bummed out when the Pittsburgh Steelers do poorly or when they do well, but, you know, I think it's fun. I think it's fun to see good football. Let's talk about another AFC uh, North team, the Baltimore Ravens. They were on a bye this week, so they weren't able to break my heart. They weren't able to lose, even though I've been rooting for them. But there was a, an article that surfaced this weekend. We talked about it a little bit with, with Adam. I gave him my cold read about which coach between John Harbaugh and Jason Garrett would be fired first. There's a lot of articles uh, from a, a reliable Raven source. It's unnamed, which I don't always, I'm not the biggest fan, but I feel like when it's within the organization like this, it needs to be an unnamed source, that John Harbaugh is going to mutually part from the Baltimore Ravens at the end of this season. I understand it. I'm not a fan, but I understand it. And I do believe that he is going to be a head coach somewhere moving forward. But let's talk about John Harbaugh's career for, for a few moments. So through 11 seasons, he's 98 and 71. Not spectacular, but pretty darn solid. He's 10-5 and five in the postseason. Obviously, he won the Super Bowl. He's a Super Bowl winning coach, along with Joe Flacco. They came into the league together. But I think a key point is their GM, Ozzie Newsom. This is his last year. He's retiring. They have Eric DaCosta taking over 
And I think when he takes over, he's going to want to get his own head coach and they're going to start to kind of rebuild this this old empire that Newsom and Harbaugh built up. Seven of their eight highest play- paid players are over the age of 30 and a lot of them could be traded or released this offseason. So when DaCosta takes over and he starts making those GM decisions, I think he's going to want a head coach, his head coach, right there next to him to get what we're going to see as the Baltimore Ravens of the future. Like I said, I'm disappointed, and I don't necessarily think it's a great decision, but I understand it completely. They're going to have Lamar Jackson starting there probably next year, so the new head coach hopefully comes in. He's going to be an offensive-minded head coach. That is definitely something I want to see. I want to see an offensive-minded coach take over and get Lamar Jackson going uh, with something really, really intelligent. We have some really great wide receivers there. I've already touted them numerous times. The backfield's interesting, but I feel like running back could be something that they target uh, in the draft early on, maybe second, third round pick. We've seen great backs come from those rounds. Obviously, we've seen great backs come from all sorts of different rounds, but I think running back's going to be a focus of, of them moving forward and kind of fixing that offensive line. It's going to be really intriguing to see what happens with this team moving forward, especially if these rumors or this source is correct and Harbaugh is out of Baltimore. I think it's going to be fun to see where Harbaugh goes. I'm just It's one of my favorite times of the year is when coaches get fired and you kind of try to figure out where they're going. So John Harbaugh, rumored to be on his way out of Baltimore. Right now they're saying that there aren't going to be any in-season firings or anything like that for Harbaugh, but when the season is done, I think he's going to walk out the door with Ozzie Newsom and maybe that's okay. Maybe those two have done what they what they could do for for that team. Harbaugh is the second coach of that organization, that franchise. Uh, during their time, their second stint in Baltimore as the Ravens, and he brought them their second Super Bowl. So maybe walking out the door on his terms in a mutual agreement where it's all good, shake hands, respect the organization, the or- organization respects you, and you're able to go do a fresh head start. For both both sides, I mean, you can't be upset with that. Can't be upset with that at all. Let's stick with another AFC North team. Hugh Jackson is back, ladies and gentlemen. Did not take long. And I said a few weeks ago to Adam, if Hugh Jackson wants to be with an organization, he will be. I didn't think it was going to be two weeks, but he is back with the Cincinnati Bengals, going back to where he was twice, actually. Before he was a head coach in Cleveland, he was Cincy's offensive coordinator. He is now the assistant to the head coach, special assistant to the head coach. I saw a really funny tweet about how Hugh Jackson was now the Dwight Schrute of the Cincinnati Bengals, and I thought that was just fun because I'm a huge fan of The Office. I know my co-host Adam Rossi, who I miss dearly, is also a huge fan. So Hugh Jackson is the Dwight Schrute. Now... I don't really know what this means for the football team. Cincinnati, obviously, still in playoff contention, but they got shellacked on Sunday against the New Orleans Saints, and it looked like they were just a lifeless team. They weren't able to do anything on offense. They haven't been able to do anything on defense. The defense has actually been extremely, extremely bad the last handful of weeks, but no one's talking about it because they've still been able to find ways to win or almost win, hang in there, compete but they are historically on a historically bad run the last handful of weeks. And that is kind of just shocking. If they can't get it fixed, I'm not sure what's going to happen with that organization. I definitely don't think Hugh Jackson's the guy to fix it. They did fire their defensive coordinator, Terrell Austin. Marvin Lewis is taking over defensive play calling. I'm not a huge fan when uh, coaches do that. I know it works for a lot of offensive coordinator type of Mines, Adam Gase, Sean McVay is obviously extremely awesome at it, Andy Reid. But I think it's really hard to coordinate the defense and also take care of head coaching decisions. And if I had the choice, I wouldn't be the biggest fan of a head coach doing those responsibilities because I feel like there's so much that goes in to being a head coach. Now, obviously, Marvin Lewis is an extremely tenured head coach. He's been in the league a very, very, very long time, so he knows how to do it. So maybe having some experience under his belt makes it a little more possible. Maybe that helps the defense. I'm not sure. 
But man, they are on a bad run right now. But what I don't like about the Hugh Jackson signing, because we all thought Marvin Lewis was out the door last year, but he came back. I think a lot of people thought that was a head-scratching move. He hasn't won a playoff game. And people want a new coach. If this is Marvin Lewis's last year, if he walks out now, I'm afraid that this signing or this hiring, excuse me, of Hugh Jackson is saying Hugh Jackson is ready to take over as the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. And I think that is a huge mistake. I am so against that. Just not a fan. Hugh Jackson is not a good NFL head coach. And it's nothing against Hugh Jackson. Like I said, I think he is a great offensive coordinator. He's a great offensive mind, but he is not head coaching material. And we've seen it in his records, not only in Cleveland, where we know how poorly he did with the Cleveland Browns, but also in Oakland. He didn't do well there either. His complete total overall head coaching record from his stint with the Oakland Raiders and the Cleveland Browns. 11-44-1. He actually did a lot better in Oakland than he did Cleveland. I feel like people don't necessarily always think about what he did in Oakland. The Raiders finished with a record of 8-8, missed the playoffs. But the thing is, they started that season 7-4, and they collapsed. And I feel like that is what Hugh Jackson teams do. They don't perform the way they should. Cleveland has so much talent. We've touted it numerous times, Adam and I. So I think a new head coach, and we've even seen it last week, they were amazing against the Atlanta Falcons. I don't think Greg Williams is anywhere near going to become the head coach. I still think Bruce Arians is out there. Go make that a thing. So... Hugh Jackson, though, man, I don't know. I don't know if I like this signing. I don't know if it was necessarily. I feel like Hugh should have just taken some time off a few months, even just a few months, to get to get his, his mind right. A lot of ex-head coaches, a lot of NFL personnel have done that. If they get fired from somewhere, especially if it's mid-season where there's all this drama that obviously means something was going wrong, they step away, they take some time, they reevaluate things. They don't just dump or jump, excuse me, right back in to the heap of things. And I feel like that could have been a very good thing for Hugh Jackson. I don't think it was the best decision two weeks after getting fired from Cleveland to just go back and sign something that seems as wonky as assistant to the head coach. Obviously, Hugh Jackson has connections with Cincinnati. He knows Marvin Lewis. He's worked under him before. They have a great relationship, I'm sure. He knows the organization. He knows all the people there. But I can't help but think that there's a little tiny part of him that this is an I'm going to stick it to Cleveland move because Hugh Jackson came out publicly. He's on record saying that he thinks Cleveland fired him prematurely. He thinks he could have gotten the ship righted in Cleveland if he had been given more time. I think that's garbage. I am calling BS on that. Hugh, you had more than enough time. Your record as a head coach says everything you you need to know. 11, 44, and 1. Take away that year in Oakland, Hugh, and you are 3, 36, and 1. Let's say that one more time. 3, 36, and 1. Do not say anything about how you did not have enough time to start performing as a head coach in Cleveland. Calling BS on that. Nope. Out the door. Out the door, Hugh. Don't believe that at all. So, regardless, I feel like there is a small element of I'm going to stick it to Cleveland by going to Cincinnati, but I'm not sure you picked the right North team. I mean, I'm not sure who else would have wanted you uh, right now so soon after everything that happened, but we'll see what happens. And I just hope that Cincinnati at the end of the year, no matter what happens, if they make the playoffs, if Marvin Lewis is out the door, just because he's getting up there in age, he's one of the oldest head coaches. He's not the oldest, but he's definitely been around a really long time. If he's out the door and he walks away, 
I hope for Cincinnati's sake that they don't hire Hugh Jackson as their head coach. I'll say that right now. I don't want to see that happen because I just don't think he's head coach material. So we'll see what happens. That's enough of the AFC North talk for now. I didn't realize when I was writing the schedule I had so many things revolving around them. That's funny. I'm going to shift gears a little bit and talk about an NFC player, and that is Eli Manning. How about them New York Giants traveling out to San Francisco to take on the 49ers and Nick Mullins making his second start, who, by the way, is a great kid. I'm going to talk about him in just a minute because I think it's going to be really fun to see what happens with him this offseason moving forward. But right now, I want to talk about Eli Manning, and more specifically, I want to talk about a comment made by ESPN analyst and Monday Night Football reporter Booger McFarland. So last night, the Monday Night Football crew were talking about Eli Manning, and as his career is winding down, they started talking about whether or not Eli Manning is a Hall of Fame quarterback, and Booger said he did not think he was, while Jason Witten up in the booth said that he did think that Eli Manning is a Hall of Fame quarterback. So they started pulling out all these stats and everything, and I just think it's a really interesting conversation to have. So Eli Manning, after last night's win, is 113 and 110 as a starting quarterback in the NFL. He's only won three more games than he's lost in his NFL career. He's thrown 350 touchdown passes, 234 career interceptions. He's thrown for 54,247 yards while completing 60% of his passes. So the numbers aren't, wow, that's totally amazing, but they're also pretty darn good. I mean, he's been playing a really, really long time. Obviously, he has the two Super Bowl wins, 2008-2012, when they beat the New England Patriots both times, the first time being the time they knocked off New England from their undefeated season, the amazing David Tyree catch against his helmet, and that will forever live in infamy of New England fans and just pure football magic in the fans of all 31 other teams. That was just amazing, just by the way. I can't. I don't even want to talk about it because I'll just go on and on. Other than that, though, Eli Manning has never won a playoff game other than those two playoff runs that led to the Super Bowl. need to say that because Booger got that incorrect. He said that he's never been to the playoffs other than those years. That's, that's fake. He has been to the playoffs. He just hasn't won a playoff game other than those two Super Bowl runs. But yeah, is Eli Manning a Hall of Famer? It's a really interesting question because it's it's hard to take away a lot of the things. Obviously, before he was oddly benched last year and, and something that I feel like the organization botched for Ben McAdoo. They said Ben McAdoo had to go and, and do it and then he got fired. And so they kind of Ben McAdoo was the scapegoat. He had the longest starting streak of an NFL quarterback behind Brett Favre. Obviously, that's been broken devastatingly. In a lame, silly reason, in my opinion, but I don't think he would have caught far, but it was still an extremely impressive record of his own. A lot of touchdowns, and I think it's going to be those two Super Bowl rings that I think will eventually get him into Canton. I don't think he's going to be, he's not going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, I'll say that. I don't think he's anywhere near that. I don't think he deserves that. I think there are very few players that deserve first ballot Hall of Famers on their their first time that's what makes him first but I think as we go down the road we're going to appreciate what Eli Manning brought to the game and in a lot of different ways I mean who can complain about the Eli face if you don't know what that is just google Eli Manning face and you'll see some very very funny pictures some very fun things that you can just chuckle at and feel good if you're having a bad day but in seriousness now those Super Bowl runs were pretty improbable for the New York Giants Obviously going to take on the New England Patriots in 2008 when they were coming into the game 0-17. They lost to the Patriots early that year, and they were just probably, I don't know this for sure, but probably the biggest Super Bowl underdogs in NFL history. Even more than the underdog Philadelphia Eagles this past year. Actually, I'd be curious to see if, if somebody knows that stat, fact check me and, and let me know. But I don't think anybody anybody were picking the New York Giants to beat that New England team. So when they pulled that off, that was just so critical in NFL 
history. Winning in 2012, obviously to win the Super Bowl is etching yourself in NFL history, but that one wasn't as impressive, but it's still winning the Super Bowl against Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, something that a lot of teams have tried to do and a lot of teams have failed in doing. So you can't take that away from Eli. He played well in those games. He played well in those playoffs. He beat Brett Favre in Lambeau. He beat Aaron Rodgers in Lambeau. He beat a lot of good teams to get to that position to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl and then to win that's only the icing on the cake so yes I do believe that those Super Bowl rings are going to need to be taken into consideration when talking about Eli Manning and whether or not he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame those two rings you cannot take them away ever and there have been plenty of quarterbacks quote-unquote not even great quarterbacks that have won Super Bowl rings, but the way he did it, the way that Eli Manning was able to take his team on a run to beat teams, especially in the Super Bowl, that he probably shouldn't have, that is so pivotal and key. And I think that down the road is going to be a reason why we do see Eli Manning's bust in Canton in the NFL Football Hall of Fame. So yeah, uh, I do believe that Eli is a Hall of Fame quarterback. I just don't think he's going to be getting there uh, very soon. I don't think he's going to be a first ballot. He's not going to be a second ballot. I think it's going to be down the road when we've kind of stopped and kind of appreciated his career for what it is versus comparing it to what it could have been or comparing it to other guys. I just don't think you can take away some very special things that Eli Manning has done for the New York football giants. So... Booger, I don't agree with you. Uh, I agree with Jason Witten, who definitely did say he's a Hall of Famer. He played against Eli Manning while he was uh, tight end in Dallas. So yeah, yeah, I believe. I believe in Eli uh, being there eventually, just not not right off the bat. But I would know, love to know what you guys uh, think. Shoot us a message on Facebook or on Twitter and let us know your thoughts on whether or not you think Eli Manning deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. We love hearing from our our listeners. That's actually going to be the next uh, thing I do. I do have a, a write-in question from our, our listener, Brian. He's always great at listening and giving input and asking questions. Uh, so maybe, Brian, you can answer that question for me, whether or not you believe Eli Manning is a Hall of Fame quarterback. All right, let's answer your question now, though, Brian. Brian wrote to me, and he did say, he asked, Adam and I have talked a lot about the playoff pictures and, and things, and although football is obviously a team sport, it is so important to have key players. Look at a player like Patrick Mahomes, who has elevated the Chiefs to to just phenomenal standings and is lighting the world by storm and has already broken in just the few of the first uh, 10 weeks, he's already broken the Chiefs' single-season touchdown passing record, which is just so darn amazing. So obviously, single individual players can be important. So Brian asked, in my opinion, teams obviously experience injuries all the time. He wants to know what is a team that has overcome individual injuries to continue succeeding well I'm going to double down a little bit and talk about, I'm going to talk about one team who I don't think has been able to overcome injuries and a team that has been able to overcome their injuries. So when addressing something like this, I'm only going solely based on players who have been placed on the injured reserve, which means technically they could come back, but more often than not, if you're put on the injured reserve, you're not coming back to play football this season. So I'm going to talk about the team that I think was not able to overcome these injuries, these key injuries to key players, is the Atlanta Falcons. Early on, week one against the Philadelphia Eagles, it was it was the kickoff to the NFL season, and the Atlanta Falcons' young, key defenders went down. Deion Jones, middle linebacker, Keanu Neal, safety. Those are two young, pivotal, flying playmakers that were just wiped out with injury. Now, I will say Deion Jones is coming back. He was taken off IR. So like I just said, usually players aren't taken off. This was an instance where Deion Jones is able to come back. I think that's going to help that defense a lot. But 
up to this point in the season, the Atlanta Falcons as a whole have been a disappointment. They are not where they wanted to be, especially in this division, to be able to make a playoff push. I think it's because of key defenders like those two going down. That defense took such a big hit that they were not able to keep up. It exposed, quote-unquote, exposed their offense. They weren't able to do as much to keep their game or their team in the game. So I feel like that was extremely, extremely pivotal, losing those defenders. Hopefully the addition of Deion Jones coming back is going to help out. He's just a phenomenal playmaker. So him being back on the field is going to be a huge lift. I think it might be a little too late in the season to come back and make a huge impact on that team, but it definitely affected them in a negative way. One team on the opposite side of the spectrum that I think has not been hindered by their season-ending injuries or players who haven't been able to play yet, and this has been a key thing for this team because in years past, they have not been able to get over the hump from these injuries, and they are this year. And I think it's a huge reason why they're doing well. I'm super excited to talk about them. I always am whenever I talk about them, is the Los Angeles Chargers. Some really key players. Joey Bosa, defensive end, has not yet played a snap this year. He was such a game changer last year. They still they don't have him on IR. He is still trying to work his way out. As of yesterday, he is still out for week 11. He won't be playing against Denver, so we still haven't seen him. But hopefully, if the Chargers continue on their run that they're doing right now, they're able to get to the playoffs. If Bosa can come back and make half the impact that he did last year, that's going to be huge. That's going to be so, so important. But even more so than Bosa, tight end Hunter Henry, uh, before the year even started he tore his knee his ACL he was out for the year so that was a huge they brought back Antonio Gates who is obviously extremely phenomenal but not what he once was even three four years ago Hunter Henry was becoming that tight end of choice of Philip Rivers and that would have helped open up that offense if that was even possible so so much more we have the defensive back Jason Verrett, who was playing extremely, extremely well. He's a very talented guy, a ball hawk, able to create turnovers. He's out. Luckily, they had Derwin James, the young rookie, step up, and he's been just phenomenal. I think he's definitely, definitely in the race for defensive player or defensive rookie of the year, excuse me. I think he's alleviated a little bit of that pain. So this is something we haven't seen from Chargers of years past. They haven't been able to overcome those injuries. And this is, like I said, a team that always seems to have injuries to key players. And it's like, what is happening over there on the West Coast of the Chargers? But this year, it's not seeming to be a backbreaker to them. And it's just great to see. I'm excited that the Chargers are doing well. I love seeing Phillip Rivers. I've talked about him in weeks past. So yeah. Injuries to key players can be really huge, and it can be season-defining. Last year, we saw a team like uh, Green Bay when Aaron Rodgers went down there. Team went down. Quarterback Andrew Luck missed all of last year. Indy didn't do a whole lot of anything. But sometimes you do see those players able to, or those teams able to overcome key injuries. And uh, so right now, the Falcons, I think, are a team that were pretty affected negatively from those key injuries. And right now, the Chargers are the team that I think have been rolling just fine. So I think that's really great to see. Uh, and both teams, obviously, can a lot can happen in the last few weeks of football as we enter uh, mid-November. But right now, that, that's how I see it. Great question, Brian. I do appreciate that. As always, not just Brian, if any of our listeners have questions that they want to hear Adam and I talk about, that's great. We highly encourage you to text us, call us, Facebook message us, put it on Twitter. We love talking about it, guys. Uh, anything that you're interested in, we love talking about as well. So keep them coming. And I do appreciate that, Brian. Thanks a lot for that question. It was a lot of fun to think about and uh, dive into a little bit. All right, the very last bit of serious news or topic that I want to talk about. I highlighted earlier, kind of teased at it. We're going to talk about it now. And that is Nick Mullins, the San Francisco 49ers quarterback who got his second start uh, last night on Monday Night Football. Did lose the game, but played pretty darn well. Did have a few mistakes. Uh, obviously, he couldn't necessarily live up 
to the amazing expectations that he set on his very first start against the Oakland Raiders on Thursday night football a few weeks ago. But man, this kid is a baller and he's so mature. What I love most is he came out in his press conference after the game and a reporter had asked him whose fault it was, the last play, how it didn't go exactly as obviously any 49er wanted it to. Nick Mullins didn't make a great throw. And Nick Mullins completely took the blame. And I know we've talked about that a few times in this on this show. Adam and I talked about it a few weeks ago about Justin Tucker when he missed the game-tying extra point against the New Orleans Saints. But I think it's so huge when you have a leader who holds himself accountable when he doesn't point fingers at anybody else except for himself and says that was on me and it was a bummer that the game turned out that way that the play resulted and 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 had that finish but that's on me and I think that's so huge but what I really want to talk about about Nick Mullins and we've seen it in years past I'm really intrigued to see what happens with him this coming offseason we've seen A lot of times when quarterbacks are able to come in, kind of perform like this, and they get traded somewhere else to be the starter or a key guy, we saw it with a handful of years ago, Matt Flynn with the Green Bay Packers played uh, in lieu of Aaron Rodgers when he broke his collarbone. He signed with Seattle Seahawks. Obviously, that was the year they drafted Russell Wilson, and nobody talks about Matt Flynn now. We saw it a few years ago with Jacoby Brissett when he played with New England. He was traded to Indianapolis. Heck, we saw it with the San Francisco 49ers current quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, who just signed a massive contract this offseason after he was traded. We've seen it time and time again. NFL teams are so quick to trade for somebody that they could see as possibly being the guy and giving up depends on what they give up. Sometimes it's a heck of a lot. Sometimes it's not that much. Sometimes they throw a ton of money at a guy. Sometimes they get burned because of the money that they gave a guy. But we've seen the Nick Mullins effect in the past. So I'm going to be so curious to see what happens, whether or not San Francisco has somebody calling them for Nick Mullins next year, or whether or not he's going to stay there and be the number two guy behind Jimmy Garoppolo, which if I'm speaking personally, I think would be the much more intelligent move by Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch because as much as we like Jimmy Garoppolo, and I, I love Jimmy Garoppolo, as much as we've seen from him potential-wise, we've also seen him deal with a lot of injuries in his very limited playing time. Don't forget that while he was in New England, the year that he started for Tom Brady when he was suspended, Jimmy got knocked out, and that's how Jacoby Brissett was able to get in there and play a few games, and that's how he worked his way to eventually becoming an Indianapolis Colt. So I think if John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan are really smart about their team, they know that they have such a valuable quarterback in Nick Mullins who is able to come in and play phenomenally well in case something happens with Jimmy Garoppolo moving forward. But like I said, going to be a lot of fun. The offseason is always fun with movies like this, but that's definitely going to be something that maybe isn't going to be a blockbuster or not a lot of people are talking about, but that could be a really big move and it's just going to be fun to see. So we're going to, let's let's hold off and see what the story of Nick Mullins, how that's going to continue. Obviously has uh, a lot of football left. He put, played this season. Kyle Shanahan's come out and said that he has earned the right to be the starter. And you can't argue with that. The kid, the kid has balled out. But um, maybe he continues to ball out and somebody's going to be offering a first-round pick. We'll see. All right, we're coming up on an hour, so I'm going to get ready to wind this down. We're going to do an early episode. We're not going to do pal's picks uh, this week. Uh, I'm not going to get my friend on the phone just because I know uh, he he's uh, occupied right now. So... Gonna have a week off from Pal's Picks, which I know is disappointing for a lot of a lot of fans, but I will say this. I'm gonna take it on the chin. Adam, for the first time this year, he's in the lead, and I don't like that. So I need to take the week off to reevaluate, to think some things through. But uh, entering week 11, so we're gonna get our bye week. It's our bye week this week. I am 13 and 17. Adam is 14 and 16. Man. What has happened to me? I have fallen off, and I'm disappointed. 
but then I'm going to take the bye week. I'm going to reevaluate. I'm not going to be like Hugh Jackson and just jump right into something else. I'm going to start thinking through some things and uh, I'm going to get right. I'm going to get I'm going to get on the right track. I'm determined. I feel confident moving forward. But I will make a friend's fortune for you guys before we go. My friend's fortune is that this time next week, Adam and I will be back in the studio together, and you are going to hear Adam's laugh, and we'll talk about that darn dog. For those of you who don't know, that was what Adam thinks the Scooby-Doo catchphrase is, even though it's not. It's not. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. If you've bared with me for this hour, I do appreciate it. I know it's been a lot of me talking. It's actually only been me talking the entire time. But regardless, thank you so much for listening to Simultaneous Catch. Like I said, look us up on Facebook, on Twitter, at Simult Catch. Uh, we're also part of the Pocket Podcast Network. You can find that on Google. We are extremely happy to be a part of that group where so many great, unique podcasts are being brought together and collaborated and spread around around the world. So uh, look that up if you want to hear even more fun content other than just some football things. Of course, please continue listening to us. Please continue to give us feedback. Give us some questions. If you want to be on the show, you let us know. We are more than happy to do that. And to uh, just get more and more interaction, send us questions. Do whatever you like, really. But uh, thank you so much for listening. I do appreciate it. And with that being said, I have to say, everybody, thanks for listening to Simultaneous Catch. My name's Josh Lapping. Enjoy week 11. And from my pal, Adam Rossi, God bless.